Luke 5, 1 to 16. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish that their nets were breaking. They signalled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinner, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and the great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, and he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. As I uh, said last week, we're um, beginning a bit of a new um, theme um, that uh, we're looking at in uh, moving people in following Christ, which is what we've been looking at uh, this year. Um, but the uh, coming months or so, we want to have a look at the Gospels and we want to see how Jesus uh, did the moving people in following himself and uh, what was his plan Can, as we look at uh, the master at work, what was the master plan that Jesus had uh, for having people be discipled. And as we journey through uh, the Gospels, we're going to explore what we can learn uh, from Jesus. Uh, as we talked about that this master plan is sort of incorporated in the three goals that we have as a church as well, that as uh, Jesus interacted with the world and showed us how to live amongst it, uh, he was growing disciples, uh, which we touched a little bit on last week, and uh, he was showing them uh, what it meant to be uh, fishers of men, uh, to cast the net of the kingdom uh, on earth. Uh, today we're going to look a little bit at, at, at caring for people, uh, and uh, we start to get a bit of a, a sense of that from the second part of the, the passage that Coralyn read as he interacts with the, the leper. Uh, and then uh, next week, Joel's going to be back, uh, and he's going to teach us, or we're going to look a little bit at reaching the world and how these things uh, work. Uh, we feel convinced and convicted and want to make sure, and what we've been focusing in on um, this year and but other years as well, that Jesus is the centre of this church. It's not our fancy pictures or our fancy logos or themes or anything like that. That it's Jesus who is at the centre of his church 
and that through his death, resurrection and ascension and for the, through his spirit coming upon the church is what we're uh, on about as we uh, seek to follow him and continually uh, move him. And the complexity of this picture shows that it is a complex process in following Jesus. It's not a simple uh, process, even though there is some idea of Jesus sort of growing disciples and caring for people and reaching the world. But in and amongst that, uh, those things were happening together uh, as Jesus uh, lived this out uh, on earth. Uh, we talked a little bit about, or we asked ourselves the question last week, uh, who's helping you? follow Jesus who is helping you follow Jesus and um, who are you helping to follow Jesus and thinking about that what does it look like in our families uh, how are we discipling there thinking about uh, we've talked about one of the things we're focused on this year is grow groups accountability groups of three or four people that meet together uh, to encourage each other to be followers of Christ, to get to know God. Remember last week we talked that Jesus, what the plan for him and his disciples was that they would know the Father and that the Father, they would know that Jesus was sent by the Father. That, uh, and, and as his uh, apostles particularly, um, there was this sort of a, a sense of accountability to making sure that that was core. And then for them as a life group or as a, as a broader group to live out this mission, uh, how in your life groups uh, this year, how in our ministries are we living out this mission of Jesus to cast the net of the kingdom, to interact with the people that he has put in our path. So we're thinking about that, but this week uh, we're looking at caring for people. And uh, we see Jesus was, um, well this was such a critical part of Jesus' plan when he was on earth, wasn't it? that he cared for people, that he loved people, uh, that he drew near to people. And uh, last week, Jesus was letting his uh, disciples know that, that you know, the love of the Father showed in the way that he gave his son, that his son came to earth uh, to bring the kingdom near, to show what it looked like when God came amongst us. And this week, we're thinking a little bit about... Um, what is, it, uh, what is it for us to know how to love others? For us as God's people, as followers of Jesus, now to love others. So as we think about uh, this, we're loving God, uh, loving our neighbours. Big themes of the Bible that come out in Jesus' plan. This week I began reading a book. It's uh, one of Philip Yancey's sort of newer books. It's called uh, Vanishing Grace. And it's... Uh, it's um, subtitle is um, Whatever Happened to the Good News? And uh, in this book, he talks about how he interacts with um, non-Christians in America, um, but I think it wouldn't be a whole lot different here. And uh, one of the questions that he asks uh, non-Christians, particularly as he uh, interacts with them, he, say, he, he has this question. What is one word that you would use to describe a Christian? Think about that. <laughs> he said, to his, to his surprise and dismay, no one has ever answered loving. I, I, it just shocked me. 
And maybe it's the, the people that he's uh, interacting with here and those that he's interacting with asking these questions are probably sort of jaded um, uh, Christians and pretty hard-lined uh, atheists. But the words that come out are things like hypocritical, <laughs> judgmental, argumentative, or just weird or loopy or out of touch. Uh, there was some sense that uh, they do help the poor or um, they're do-gooders. There was an article written in Christianity Today um, a while back. He quotes it in his book, and there's four common complaints against Christians. And these were the four common complaints that came out of this survey. Was one, uh, you don't listen to me. This was by non-Christians, obviously. Uh, you don't, ju- uh, sorry, you don't listen to me. You judge me. Your faith confuses me. And you talk more about what's wrong <laughs> rather than doing right. That they were known for more what they stood against than what they stood for. He says in this book, (laughs) and as I was thinking about this, this sort of stuck in my head. He said, I suspect that God is not counting how many arguments that we win with people and how many people we convince, but I am sure that he is more concerned about how we love people. Sort of, oh. That hurt (laughs) me as a pastor. And that he's proposing that Christians are often too focused on winning the arguments or correcting wrong behavior than we are at dispensing love and grace. So the question is, do you think that's true? Do you think it's true? Do you think it's true of you? Hopefully we'll wrestle with that question a little bit this morning. Because I know <laughs> that in this place that I have a tendency to treat people like objects. Part of my church's vision plan. And as long as people fit into the programs that I offer here, then that's good. But if they start to complicate my life, or if they don't respond or they don't change, then my attitude might change slightly. <laughs> that I can become frustrated and judgmental of people who continue on a behavior that I don't think is of God. Why don't they change? they continue to live this way, they're going to have the consequences of that. I've told them the gospel a couple of times. Surely, they should respond now, change, do something. And then I think to myself, how close have I gotten to these people? Do I actually know their life story? (laughs) Have I eaten with them? Have I drunk with them? Have I got to know them or have I just kept them at a distance and preached at them? It's very easy for us to do (laughs) as followers of Jesus. 
That's one of the things that we see with Jesus as he disciples his people, um, or he, as he disciples, that, that, that Jesus is constantly moved by compassion and empathy for people. You know, it's this common phrase. That as we read through the Gospels, we read that Jesus was moved for compassion for these people. He was moved for those who were hurting or broken or sick or in need. And that often his ministry was stopped by those people as he engaged with them, as he ate with them, as he went to their homes, as he hung out with them and spent time with them. And he did that with his disciples often. And so Jesus comes close to people and he engages and he cares. Jesus was known in his time for those that he loved. And who were those that he loved? They were the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. Remember they said he was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. These were the people that Jesus ate with and drank with and hang out with, that he came close to with love and empathy and compassion. As he also brought the good news of the gospel and called them to repent and follow him. So what's the first word that comes to your mind when you think about Jesus? If we were to ask that of non-Christians, I wonder what they would, most people, if you, I think there would be words like loving and caring and compassionate. And as Jesus brings his kingdom to earth, there is no doubt that his focus is on people and engaging with them and bringing the love of God to them. And so this passage that we're going to look at this morning, which is uh, that, that particularly the second half of that um, passage that Coralyn read, that comes right after Jesus calls the disciples and say, I'm going to get, make you to be fishers of men. And then he says, this is what it looks like. And he comes across a leper. And straight away, <laughs> Jesus is engaged with those who are the outcasts of society, those who are pushed to the uh, outside of yeah, society. And he shows his disciples, this is what love looks like. And so a man comes to him, and it's interesting, I read the one from Luke, because Luke is sort of the, the doctor of the Gospels. And so he has a little bit more, just an extra line written in there. And he says that this man was covered with leprosy. Other, other Gospels just say it was a man with leprosy. He was, so he, this guy was full of leprosy. He was pretty well, you get the sense, as, as leprous as you could be. And if you know anything about uh, that time and uh, the Bible sort of history, is that lepers should have been keeping their distance. They should have been yelling out, unclean. <laughs> that rabbis and teachers should not have been going anywhere near them. And yet Jesus uh, comes in or allows, first allows the guy to come to him. And then he does the unthinkable. He breaks the law. 
because he touches the leper. And this is where you get the sense that Jesus wasn't legalistic about keeping the law. He was about keeping the heart of the law. Because he knew that there was, you know, in those days, the, the reason that you know, the Mosaic law had rules about lepers was because it was contagious and there needed to be protection of the community. But then what Jesus does is he brings his new kingdom to earth. He says, love trumps that. And for me, as I come from God, I have authority and power over that. And so it might be risky. I had this discussion in the office. Would, did Jesus get sick? If he was fully human, did Jesus get sick? It's not a sin to get sick, is it? So could Jesus have got leprosy? I suspect he could have, if he was fully human. That's probably a risk that he took. As he touched this man and I, I get this. I'd love the idea of the sense that he embraced the man. <laughs> There's a couple of pictures that are sort of famous pictures of Jesus interacting with this leper. He comes close. And then what does he do? He makes him clean. And this is also what Jesus comes to do as he brings the kingdom. He restores this man. What does he restore him to? you get a, an idea of what he restores him to? Back into the, he could now what? Where did he have to go? Straight back to the temple. Straight back to the people of God. He could now go back and interact with God and his people as one of the people of God. He restores him as a son of Abraham, as someone who is with God and his people. Do you understand what this would mean for him? that he would be able to hug people again. That he would be able to sit at the table with his family. I thought about this. I wonder if he was married or if he had kids. Imagine what the restoration of that family would have been like for this man. As Jesus comes to earth and his kingdom comes to bear on those who are sick or are outcast, he restores them. And we think about that for us as we seek to follow Jesus and be like him. It's also a good reminder here to think about that. And, and this is often what happens in the Gospels. These uh, records are kept um, and recorded for us to put ourselves into them as well. And I think it's a good practice and I think a biblical practice to put ourselves in the position of the leper. Because through the Bible, um, the idea of being unclean is very commonly put to those who are sinful. And that we are unclean and unholy and can't come to the presence of God. And yet, through Jesus coming to earth, he comes close to us. He comes to us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, he died for us. He came and loved us and embraced us. And this is a sort of a, almost a physical picture of a spiritual reality for us in this and so as we understand the love of god for us as spiritual lepers think about how we now engage or show that love to those that god puts in our path and maybe particularly those that are outcasts or shunned from society because this is the good news of the kingdom 
that God came near and he loved. And we now, as his body, as Christ, are called to do the same. You may ask, at the end of that passage, he goes, he tells them not to tell anyone. If you're wondering about why does he say, don't go and tell anyone. Um, because that was part of Jesus' plan. So Jesus' plan while he was on earth was that he was working uh, in this area, um, but he still had three years of ministry before he got to Jerusalem. Because what happened when word got out? The crowd swamped him. And, the, and he was overwhelmed with the crowds. And, and so what did it do at the end there? He said he actually had at times to um, go to solitary places uh, to pray and stuff like that. So that's all that is. It's not that uh, Jesus didn't want himself to be known. It was all part of this longer-term plan that he was staggering out uh, as people got to know him. But <laughs> it didn't all go to plan, did it? Because the guy goes and tells people and he gets swamped. But even still, this is what constantly happens is that Jesus' ministry gets interrupted by the sick and those needing to be healed or the broken. And he stops and engages with them. And it's interesting, isn't it? as you read through the Gospels, the disciples actually struggled with this. They didn't quite like the fact that people got in the way of Jesus and their mission. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? You remember that clip last week? You remember how that worked out? Uh, Jesus, tell these people to go. <laughs> They're getting in the way of what we've got to do. <laughs> and what does Jesus do? Remember that line in that feeding of the 5,000? Jesus had compassion on the people. He said to the disciples, you feed them. <laughs> and Jesus fed them. Or if you think about the disciples of, uh, the, you know, what happened when uh, people wanted to bring children to Jesus? Jesus, you know, these kids, they're unimportant. They're getting in the way of our ministry. And what does Jesus do? He says, no, bring them close. Have them sit on my lap. Unless we understand my kingdom as one of these kids. Th these kids are just as much as part of my mission, part of my plan as you are. The Samaritan woman that Jesus interacts with at the well, uh, when the disciples come back, they're almost a little bit like, whoa, what's you, Jesus, you shouldn't be speaking to women by yourself. And you certainly shouldn't be speaking to Samaritan women. Do you know what the Samaritans are like? Uh, not long after that, uh, the disciples are saying, Jesus, should we pray down hell on the Samaritans? Because they're a pretty messed up people, pretty blasphemous people. And yet Jesus takes time, draws near to this woman, engages with her. And what does he do? He restores her. What happens after he leaves, she leaves Jesus? She goes back to her village, of which she was an outcast. That's why she was at the well by herself. She was an outcast. Um, and Jesus restores her because she goes back to the village and starts to talk about him. And the whole village is changed because of her. And she is restored into that community and has a new place and a new presence in that community as a loved uh, daughter of God. So as Jesus interacts, he restores people. Uh, we'll, we'll go to the next one. Um, and there's this idea, go to the next slide. Yeah, this one. Um, I, I put this out there. This idea of kingdom coming to earth is there's this sense that um, the, the blue side is sort of the kingdom of darkness and sin 
Jesus comes and the kingdom of heaven is coming, but even though it's still broken and Jesus' blood is sort of cleansing it, what happens is that these pockets of love sort of appear in this place, don't they? These pockets of goodness that come in this dark world as sinners are restored, as uh, social outcasts are embraced. And it wasn't just the poor, okay? What did Jesus do with Zacchaeus? one of the richest men in the town. What does Jesus do with him? He goes and eats with him. He goes and stays at his house. He eats and drinks with him. He gets to know him. He hears his story and he restores him. How does he restore him? He gives away everything that he's stolen. Matthew, we've talked about him in the past, how Jesus then interacts with the the Pharisees and the tax collectors, the sick, the poor and the needy, as Jesus continually is moved by compassion for, these, uh, for those who are broken. As Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, he cares for people. He says, these are my people and I want to love them and I want to care for them. And he says to his disciples, he says to his followers, I want you to do the same. These are my people and I want you to show them what my love looks like. And so as followers of Jesus, as we think about this, here's the test. What's the one word that non-Christians would use to describe you? So if you uh, had some non-Christians in your friend or your workplace or at your school or in your neighborhood or your next door neighbor, and someone went to them and said, follower of Jesus next door, you know these people. What's one word that you would use to describe them? scary isn't it i was a bit confronted by it what would my neighbors use to say about me or my family what would the people at Chevelle kitchen or family members even say about me or as a church what's the one word that people in this suburb would say about our church would they what would they use to describe our church and I think there's an element that some of these words would come out. Loving, embracing, empathy, helping, healing, restoring dignity and acceptance. I do see God working through us to see these words lived out in this community, in the lives of us. I do see the world being impacted through this church. And as we think about um, the impact that the church has had um, through history, particularly in the early days, the church were known as those people who picked up discarded children in the Roman era. This is so um, it was recorded by um, Roman historians. They often uh, wrote uh, quotes about Christians, and they were saying that they were these crazy people that would go and pick up discarded children or disabled children. Or later on, uh, when the, the, the plagues were happening, the Christians were known for the people who risked their lives to interact with people who had the plague as they showed love, as they embraced those that the world saw as outcasts. I do get the sense that people would make comment of this church and say that we're people that love and embrace and, in, and um, engage. But as we do that, 
I think where I start, I, I've been asking myself this question all week, and, and I, I bring it to you as well because I think Jesus does too. That as you're doing all this stuff, who are the people you're loving? The names of those people. And how have you eaten with them? How have you drunk? Do you know their stories? One of the biggest ways that I've just been reading is I've been, um, how do you show care for people? And one of the words that just keeps repeating itself and repeating itself is you listen to them. And you listen to them and you listen to them. And you listen to them 10 times more than you speak to them. And you get to know their stories. And part of empathy is this idea of walking in peop other people's shoes. As we understand their story, then we can start to bring Jesus' story into that, God's story into that. Rather than trying to convince them <laughs> of an argument that we've got in our heads. And this is, I hope you get the sense, this is not the saying that we never speak about those things, but is, are those things spoken about out of love, out of a relationship, out of a connection? where we have cared. And I am aware that this is hard work, to draw near to the broken, the hurting, to draw near to sinners and those who keep living in that is really hard work. And I don't think we fully get the sense of it with Jesus because Jesus sort of just, he got the easy road out. Because he just got three years where he wiped through and then he was gone. He didn't have to live with this leper year in. He didn't have to live with the, tr the prostitutes and the tax collectors year in, year out. We do. We live with people year in, year out, decade in, decade out. That is hard work. And we cannot do it by ourselves. And that's why Jesus said, I'm sending you my spirit. Remember when he sends the disciples out? He said, you've got to do this in the power of my spirit. In the power of my spirit, and I keep preaching it to you, and I'll keep telling you, the power of my spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Oh, I've got them mixed up. I always mix them up. The fruits of the spirit. And so what do we do? We ask God. We ask God to have the fruits of his spirit manifest in us as we seek to engage with those who are not like us, with those who are hard work. We ask for energy. We ask for perseverance. We ask for strength. As we try and work out what love looks like, what does tough love look like? When, do we just, when are we just aiding that? When are we just... Um, allowing them to get away with things or what? How, do we, how does this work? And that's where we need each other. We can't do that ourselves. We need to, the wisdom of the collective body. We need gifts of each other to say, how do we do this? What does this look like? And the other thing uh, that comes upon us as we think about this, as we think about engaging through caring for people, the other thing, side of this coin is that Jesus left this message that this new command to love one another the same way that I have loved you 
I want you to love one another. And this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when they see that you have love for one another. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the church. He's talking about the way you love the people sitting next to you. The way... And so when we think about that, that one word that might describe our church, Jesus is saying the way you love each other will probably be part of that. People will talk about the way you love each other, the way you interact with each other, the way you care for each other. And so when this, this idea of caring for people, it's not just caring for people outside the church, it's caring for people inside the church. Because they'll know that we're Christians by our love. <laughs> And so as we think about that, as we think internally, what would be the one word that you would use to describe your church? What would be the word that you would use to describe this church and the way you experience love in it? As Jesus showed his disciples what it looked like to love one another, Jesus came humbly as a servant washing feet, not lording it over, getting down on his knees for his disciples. As we work through the, the, the New Testament, the New Testament picked this up and there's these um, what are, are known as the one another verses. There are all these one another verses where it says, love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, teach one another, equip one another, forgive one another, confess your sins to one another. This is what the people of God, that's what love looks like in the people of God, with the people of God. It also says, you know, rebuke one another. And so as we think about that one year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years that we've been together, whatever it is that you've been in this church, that ongoing nature of showing love, it's hard work. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you get into the New Testament, you read through the rest of the letters to the New Testament, and this idea of the community of love, starts to break down straight away. All these letters are full of messed up churches. Churches where they, people don't love each other, they don't care for each other, they're selfish, they're self-centered, they're breaking down. And guess what? It's not much different to our church. This church is full of selfish, worldly people. You're probably looking at the biggest one up here. And yet God says, these are the people, these broken, messed up people that I came to earth to love, you're the ones that I've chosen to show what it means to love one another. So just as I have loved you, that's the way I want you to love one another. Just as I forgive you unconditionally, that's the way I want you to forgive one another. Just as the way I provide everything for you, that's the way I want you to provide for one another. And I think as Jesus does this, and he says, it's really important that you do this because I've got this master plan that's at work. I have this vision for my kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so we need to be this loving community so that we can be him to the world. Display him to the world. It's really important that we understand that we build community for the sake of his mission. To build this church, to grow it, to see new people added to it. A community of love where different gifts are displayed. The body working together to display God to this world. It's interesting, uh, Yancey says <laughs> Yancey says to the guys that come to him and say, oh, these Christians, they're like this, this, this and this. And he says to them, he says, do you know any Christians personally? And often they'll answer no. And he said, then I would encourage you to actually get to know some Christians first before you start to use words like this and actually build a relationship with them. And so he, he, he encourages them <laughs> to draw near to Christians and, and, and develop a relationship. And I was thinking about that too for us, that we need to enter a relationship with If we have brokenness or we have perceptions of church or each other, then we actually need to work on our relationships together and go to each other and restore those relationships so that love can be worked out amongst us. There was this sense when Jesus lived his life of caring for people that people flocked to him. I was thinking of people flocking to you, to us, because Jesus' love is lived out here. I think sometimes in church, and I've been so guilty of this, that I wait for it to come to me, and then I complain when it doesn't. And this relationship thing is a two-way thing, isn't it? We need to seek help as well as help being given. And so as we wrap up and I, as I've been thinking about this message and as we were praying this morning, I just, we had a prayer meeting this morning. For me, there was this real sense that, that God wants us to hear this as his church this morning. He wants us to be encouraged that we are doing this, we are living this out, even though we're broken and messed up and we're not doing it perfectly. He wants us to confront, he, he wants to confront us with how are we doing it more like Jesus. And then he also wants to free us and empower us to do it even more as we keep in step with his spirit. As we ask God, we'll go to the last slide, as we ask God to soften our hearts as we ask God to fill us with his love, as we ask God to help us to care for people, both inside and outside the church. And this whole caring for people, I'm not even going to touch on, there's this whole idea of justice and fighting oppression and standing up for the powerless, and which hopefully we'll unpack later on. It's a whole other aspect of this, how we do that. But today I wanted to particularly just bring it close to this relationship type stuff. And so church... Would you join with me in asking for God to change our hearts for the people that he's put in our paths? That we would understand his love in deeper, richer, more abundant ways so that it would enter us and exit us. 
that it would overflow out of us. The reason that I am willing to risk my life for you is because God did it for me. The, real, the, the reason I'm willing to change my schedule, to change my life, to change my lifestyle is because Jesus did it for me. And it's risky and it may even kill me. But Jesus said, that's what my followers do. <laughs> they take up my cross, it may kill them. but I have a home <laughs> in heaven for them. I have a place one day where my kingdom's going to live in its fullness and you're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth forever. It's a hope that we can bring <laughs> in these situations. So as we sit under the gospel again this morning, we realize it's conviction and we also realize it's freedom. And I think, I was thinking as we go from here, we've got to realize, and I think this is where the gospel goes, is that life and freedom trumps guilt. I think we are supposed to feel guilty. Like that's what the, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is, to convict the world of sin. So we, we, we feel that guilt. But we're not to hold on to it. <laughs> we just, so we, 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 we leave this place knowing that we've been free. We are now full of his love. that We can dispense it. And so I think to myself, oh, what a wicked, uncaring man I am. Well, that's true. But there's no condemnation for me in Christ. And I now go in the power of his Holy Spirit, seeking to keep in step with love, joy, peace, and patience, and say, God, work your power through me so that the world may know that you are a loving God. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you so loved us that you gave your Son for us, that you were willing to sacrifice your Son for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you so loved us that you were willing to go to a cross for us, that you were willing to die for us in our place. Take upon yourself our punishment. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you love us enough to come and live within us, to live amongst us, to empower us to do what it's not in our power to do. And so we pray, Holy Triune God, that you would work in us and through us, that we would be overwhelmed with your love for us and that that love would express itself in caring and loving the people that you place in our paths. And may, may we be known as your people who love greatly, that we are dispensers of your grace, of your mercy, that we bring the truth in love with grace and mercy. And so the world will know that you are God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing this song. Uh, it's a worship song that shouts Hosanna to God, praise to God that he's a loving God. And it's also a prayer which asks God, help us to love like you. Help us to reflect your love in the way that we love others. So let's stand.
and worship and praise our God uh, as we sing this song. Joel started us off from 1 John. I want to finish us off from 1 John. Remember these words and be encouraged by them. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is the love of God that was manifest amongst us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but rather that he loved us and sent his son to be the forgiveness of or propitiation, there you go, the complete wipeout of all our sins. So beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then this verse, one of my favourite in the Bible. No one has ever seen God, but if, one, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is made perfect in us. You know what that means? As we love each other, the world sees God. That's what it says. If we, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, we love them, the world will see God. They'll experience him. They'll feel his touch. They'll hear his mercy and grace and compassion as we love them, as we love one another. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as you leave here today. Father God, I pray that you would come upon your church with power. Holy Spirit, that you would come upon your people and where they are weak, you would be strong. (laughs) Come upon us with power that we would love like you this week. Come upon us with power that where we feel uh, we don't have the words, that actually we wouldn't try to find them, that we would just listen. We pray uh, that you'd come upon us with power, that you would help us to draw near to people, to embrace people, to show grace and mercy, to invite people into our homes to try and understand people, to walk in their shoes. Lord, we realize we can't do this by ourselves, so would you come upon us as your people with power that we would live this out this week. And may glory go to your name as we display you to each other and to the world. Amen. I'm going to ask that you do something. I'm going to ask that you be an answer to your prayers. And so that prayer that we prayed during that time of silence... I pray that you would show love to the people that you prayed for. So have a think of the people that you prayed for and that this week that you would show them love and that you would do that in the power of the Holy Spirit, however that works. Just a reminder that our prayer team will either be over that side or this side and we would love to pray with you. If there's anything coming out of this service um, and you need prayer and power to do this, we would love to pray with you in that. If there are other things going in your life that you need prayer for, we would love to pray for you in that. Um, If not, maybe just pray for each other as well. You can do that. There's no special thing that happens down here. You can pray for each other as well. Um, If not, enjoy some fellowship and uh, coffee and cake and have a great Sunday.